Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Franken. And um, the lyrical renderings of James Brown. from his This is a man's world song. On our program, we like to get into interesting discussions, and obviously, everybody, it seems, talking about the topic of all of these cases of sexual harassment, um, allegations of sexual harassment, in some cases, admissions, in many cases, denials, and we're going to talk about the whole effect of all of this, uh, too. We have a good guest who is in studio to talk with us on our program. She has joined us before. Uh, she is an attorney. Uh, Deborah Blum is joining us on our program. Uh, she's an experienced litigator, and she's going to bring her perspective to this discussion today. A little later in the program, what we'll try to do, too, is to work in some thoughts from some of the folks who are uh, listening to our program uh, today. First of all, it's nice to have you join us again on our program. Good morning, Deborah. I'm so happy to be be, be back. Uh, hopefully the holidays are treating you well. They are. I can't believe it's almost Christmas time. <laughs> yes, it is. It certainly is. But, you know, some of the distraction, in a way, in the news lately has surrounded this seemingly almost daily admission, report, allegation of sexual harassment. In some cases, sexual attacks. In many cases, talking about things in the workplace, some cases even areas as high in the government as Capitol Hill. Of course, there have been allegations in the past about presidents, Your reaction, first of all, to, I guess, the volume of these reports and allegations and the like that have come forth. I mean, it just seems like it's almost like a snowball that just seems to be growing and growing in size. I think it's a really interesting time. It's unfortunate to some degree because some of these accusations are just that, accusations. I think everyone knows which of the uh, outcries we've heard are very severe and those are awful and people should never do those things. And then there are some accusations of consensual acts, such as with Louis C.K. He had the women's permission to do what they said he did. He apologized, and there's a huge after effect to saying something like that. People lose their jobs, not just the person you're accusing or saying he did this to me 10 years ago. Of course, sexual harassment is wrong. A lot of the 
sexual acts that people are accused of are wrong. But there's a difference between something such as a inappropriate touching of a back versus elsewhere. You know, there, there are different levels of these things, and we should be careful of that. I, I think in today's climate, you have to be very careful, especially if you're a man. I don't know that it's currently a man's world. Mm-hmm. Um, I was using that in an, an ironic uh, fashion at the <laughs> start of our program. The song's been in my head for several days, so I went with that. Um, when we talk about, first of all, the idea of something being a crime, a sex crime, what exactly is that? Well, a sex crime is an inappropriate touching, an unwanted sexual act. A lot of people could be accused of a sex crime, and there are very serious consequences. You become a registered sex offender. So these are often crimes of people who've never been arrested before. It could be with somebody they went on a date with. It could be from a former partner that accuses them of a sex act. It could be from for somebody who went to a man's apartment in the middle of the night and then they wake up the next day and accuse the person of doing something wrong. It could be someone touching you on the subway. It could be as little as somebody touching somebody's behind or it could be something very serious such as rape. Mm. And when we talk about a sex crime or sex crimes, obviously there are different degrees of them based on, I'm assuming, on the severity, and one would assume that the judgment or penalty side also varies on severity? Absolutely. And and I just want to say, of course, all sexual accusations are serious. So I, I don't mean to speak about this lightly. I can't imagine how horrible it would be to be a victim of a sex crime. But people often go to the police and they'll say that somebody raped them when in reality a rape didn't occur. And it could be if somebody is angry at their ex-boyfriend and they get together and they feel that they were violated because they didn't want to share their body with their partner, but in that moment they did. And then you have this person that has a job and they have to go to court and face very serious consequences. So for something like rape, there's jail time, there's probation, there's actually an enhanced level of probation. So if you're convicted in New York State of a serious sex act, you'll get 10 years of probation if you're put on probation. There's very severe punishment, as there should be for very awful sex acts. What do you suggest one does if they're accused of, criminally, of a sexual act? Well, they definitely should have an attorney. If if they can't afford one, one will be appointed to them. It's not something you can do without the aid of an attorney. And you really have to realistically understand what the consequences are. Often the district attorney's offices do not make such a great offer and they'll want your client to plead guilty to something that includes sex offender registry and your defense attorney really has to fight on your behalf to avoid that, especially in instances where it's not true. Why is it so so often that um, part of any settlement deal however you want to phrase it, involves this 
sex offender registry? Well, because it's a, you know, you have to think of it as what if the person actually did it? And I'd say, you know, whatever percentage someone didn't do what they're accused of, but when they do and they get off and get away with it, then it could just happen again. So I imagine that's the purpose behind the legislation is to be tough and say, you know, if you think as the prosecutor, you could go forward, then the person should have that punishment. So that way others are warned about their status because there are consequences. If you are a sex offender and you fail to register, for example, you have to go in, you have to update your address. So there are a lot of things and that people have to comply with when they are a sex offender. And as you said at the um, beginning of an answer a couple minutes ago, if somebody is accused of this in a criminal fashion, in criminal court, it, it's not something they should try to defend themselves on. Are there people who actually try that? Uh, some people like to proceed as their own defense attorney, and oftentimes it doesn't work. You know, I'm always welcome to what my clients suggest to me. I listen to them. I talk about their case with them. We go through everything. I take their input very seriously. But I find that people who are in this situation wish that it wasn't happening, of course, because they're in criminal court. No one wants to be in criminal court. So sometimes they'll just ignore it or they won't understand the severity of it. So it's very important for individuals accused of any crime to make sure they have an attorney they feel comfortable with. And if somebody is accused civilly of sexual harassment, do you give the same advice? They need an attorney? You know, I think there they need one even more because <laughs> it, there's an accusation. And if it occurs in the workplace setting, you're going to be called into HR. You're going to hear what someone said you did. And anything you say, just like in a criminal case, could be used against you. So I think once you're informed civilly that you're being accused of something, you need to say, okay, thank you, not respond, and then, you know, make a denial of the claims or say, I am going to go and I need to think about what you just accused me of before you rush to respond. People are always in a rush to respond that second. And it doesn't always help you to do so. You should take a step back. You should go consult with an attorney, whether you're going to bring one on or not. You should at least get what I call talking points. So you should go tell the attorney what you're accused of, what your employer said, and then the attorney can work with you step by step on how you should respond. That's very interesting advice because one would think that that also is very good practice, if I can phrase it that way, for the person who's accused of going through exactly all that has proceeded, because this is something they're going to have to recount numerous times, one would think, as the case proceeds, if in fact it does uh, proceed. We're talking on our program on The Fan this morning with our guest who's going to be with us for our entire show between now and 7.30 this morning. Deborah Blum has joined us in studio. She's an attorney based here in the city, and she's going to talk with us as we're talking about a number of things surrounding uh, all this discussion lately on um, sexual harassment. Um, we'll get into more areas of discussion a little later in our chat, too. We'll try and work in some thoughts from some of the folks listening to us this Radio.com. 
Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. We are with the, you on our program till 730. Deborah Blum is in studio with us. She's an experienced litigator. Um, she's talking with us on our program about a number of things surrounding all these um, accusations of uh, sexual harassment um, and sexual assault that have been in the news uh, lately. And we're talking with her from the um, legal standpoint of exactly how it is that one handles those kind of situations. Because this has sparked a huge discussion uh, in this country. When we talk about a sexual harassment accusation in the workplace, and many people probably in recent weeks because of their past actions may fear that possibility. How does one, if they're accused, how should they handle that with their employer? Well, I think that if someone fears what happened in the past and the climate right now, they should go speak with an attorney because it's probably going to come out of the woodworks. You know, if you're fearing something, then you probably did something wrong. So those people maybe deserve what they have coming to them. But I think that other people who've done nothing wrong or just touched somebody's arm when they were trying to speak with them and then all of a sudden they have an accusation against them, those people need to take pause and consult with an attorney and they have to decide, do I want this job? If they don't want the job, it might be a great way for them to get a much bigger severance package than they otherwise would have. And they could walk away with a good recommendation because employers don't really want this out in the open. They'd rather just have an accusation and have the person leave. So that way it looks like they did the right thing. And no one wants to be in the news as the employer that has Mm. employees who are doing this. What does one do if this goes to the point where law enforcement gets involved and they're arrested? Well, I actually have a really funny and interesting story about this. I worked for an attorney or did work for an attorney named Lawrence Ruggiero, and he was a really amazing, amazing guy whose clients would always say what a wonderful job he did for them. He recently just passed away. He was a federal defense attorney and had a major cooperator who was turning in people to the federal government that were doing major drug sales, importing drugs from Colombia or Mexico ago and then selling them here. So the federal government had this guy go out and try to befriend another major drug dealer or drug pusher or importer. And he did. He ended up befriending him by having a girlfriend who was barely legal and the other drug dealer had an underage girlfriend and he snitched on him and ended up when the guy figured out he was the one that told on him his underage girlfriend accused my client of having a sexual act with him so in his confession that he gave to the police who were interrogating him. He said he had a trio conmigo. And I I always think of that, of watching this confession that my client gave to having a threesome with an underage girl. And then I would have to go to the jail and visit him and constantly listen to him talk about how he didn't do it. And we'd have to go through it over and over again. And I wish I never had the experience, but I don't think that he did it. And there were so many issues with the case and 
Yeah. <laughs> he, actually, he actually said that while he, he was being interviewed? He did. So sometimes you read these vi- confessions that your clients give. Nowadays, they're videotaped, and mm. you just have to laugh at what some of the people say. You have to, like, you know, as a defense attorney, the serious nature of the charges is really extreme. So sometimes you just have to laugh at your job, and you read these funny confessions, or you hear these funny confessions. One of my clients who was accused of manslaughter after he confessed, and it was really easy to get the confession out of him by the police because he didn't have an attorney. He didn't realize that he didn't have to speak. People think, oh, if I confess, I'm going to, the crime will be reduced. That's usually not the case. So he gave a full confession. The police barely had to get it out of him. And then afterwards, you see him eating McDonald's and having a cigarette. Because I guess that it was hard to watch since you, you recognize that he recognized that was the last moment of freedom he was going to have. It's not like he was free to leave the police precinct. But he knew that he was going to go upstate to serve time for taking another man's life. And it's just really perplexing to watch. Mm. In these situations where somebody is accused of um, sexual harassment, um, for the person who is the victim, can they get an order of protection? Lots of people can get an order of protection. So if you've had an intimate act with someone, you don't just have to, you have other options other than going to the police. You could go to family court in New York State and get a family offense order of protection because you and the other individual were intimate. And you'll go and you'll tell a judge your accusations and that judge can give you a temporary order of protection. So you can make a one-sided application and you could get a temporary order of protection, which means that the person either needs to stay away from you or they have to refrain from doing anything illegal against you. And how often... Do those orders of protection actually really work? You know, I think that they help. It's good to have protection, but at the same time, people could use them as a sword, not a shield. Mm -hmm. So I have a situation right now where it's a husband and a wife, and the wife cheated on the husband, and he was very upset, as somebody would be in that situation. And now she has an order of protection against him, and she just got him arrested again. And she, in my opinion, was the perpetrator. She's the one that is setting my client up and using this order of protection against him you know certainly some people really need an order of protection and it's a balancing act when someone goes in front of a judge it's very likely that the judge is going to grant the order of protection against your client at least temporarily because what if your client actually is the guy that's then going to go and attack this person and it went in front of a judge and the judge or the prosecutor failed to act so it's it's really a balancing act it's a delicate situation and the courts err on the side of caution so generally if you're going to be facing an accusation of a sex act or someone's trying to get an order of protection against you it's going to be granted temporarily so people have to realize that these are very serious things and if you have an order of protection against you it could limit your right to travel you could go to the airport you could be stopped and the law enforcement could search you and say are you traveling with this person so it's not the best thing if you have an order of protection against you Mm. 
In the age of the Internet and instant information, but especially with the way in which the Internet has grown and especially social media, do some people get tempted uh, by this idea of using social media to basically fire back at somebody who they feel has sexually harassed them? Of course, you know, you have revenge porn, you have all kinds of things. People turn to the social media really quickly. And I would say the person that's trying to say, no, I didn't do it, they should avoid posting things about it on social media. This is something that I always recommend to my clients that they keep private because you don't want anyone else meddling and you just don't know who's really on your side or who's talking to who. So when you're accused of something like this, I always recommend to my clients, keep it private. Also, don't go on social media and make postings about it. Those are two basics. Okay. I'll ask what I think is an obvious question. Why not? Because with social media, you're leaving an online footprint and you just don't want to do that. You know, people think, oh, I'm going to exonerate myself. But then sometimes you just dig a deeper hole for yourself. Mm. And the other thing you have to keep in mind is that footprint is there forever. It's very true. It's it's really people like to go to turn to social media and we're all guilty of looking at it too frequently when, you know, maybe we should be reading the news more <laughs> or listening to this show. You know, there are just so many other things that we could do with our time and people spend a lot of time on social media. Is there also the possibility that that could impact if it gets to the point of litigation with an employer? Of course. You know, I see it in my cases. What people do on social media is often used against them. So, of course, it's going to come into the context of a civil litigation at the workforce. Hmm. When we have these cases in the news like we have lately and have all of the discussion that is ongoing about this. Is that a healthy thing to have the discussion? I think it's important for us to have the discussion. I think that we need to look at our society and take hold of what's going on. You know, there's normal interaction between men and women, and that should be strictly adhered to an appropriate relationship. But I also think that people have to understand how serious it is when you accuse someone else of something that maybe they didn't do, then my advice to those people is don't make the accusation because you're really impacting someone who then has to go through an experience of possibly losing their job, possibly having criminal consequences, having to discuss this with their wife who, you know, if that person didn't do anything to you and it's going to be a very significant event in their life that you have to think, did this happen? Should I go forward and make the accusation? Absolutely, if it happened. And if somebody is being sexually harassed, should they seek an attorney or speak with one? You know, I'm an attorney, so it's always good to uh, <laughs> consult with an attorney you know, when something is, is wrong, you should speak out. I know that people like to uh, 
they, they feel that as a victim of a sexual act that they can't do that because it's just so horrible and they're they're not going to share their experience because they're embarrassed. If you are the victim of a sex crime, you should speak out. Uh, yeah, it, it's really it's a, it's a difficult thing to talk about. And, and it's important for people to know if, if someone does something to you, it's really awful. And there are protections for you. But on the flip side of that, you have to, if nothing happened to you or somebody made like a a comment that offended you, is that worth it for you to bring to your employer's attention? You know, I'm a woman and, and men often do inappropriate things that don't cross a line. When something crosses a line, that's when you should report it. But if a man makes a funny comment to you, you have to think to yourself, should I go and speak out about that? Because... This is something that could impact someone really negatively. But, you know, as I listen to you, I also think times have changed so drastically, okay? Um, And, you know, we just also in the past week had the situation where um, Time magazine came out with the, the cover where it's their cover it's basically women, and it's women who have spoken up about a variety of different issues, including these allegations of and accusations of sexual harassment and sexual assault. I think that it's, it's important that we're having the kinds of discussion that we are, but it's also perhaps setting um, a bit of groundwork, if I can phrase it that way, for the future, because there are young people who are watching exactly what is taking place and learning from what adults are doing and saying. But it's also laying the groundwork for, I would think, the possibility of revisions and law and the like that we will see come our way over the next couple of years. I want to touch on that more as we continue. We're talking with Deborah Blum on our program on the fan this morning. We would explore this on our program this morning, and Deborah is with us till 7.30 when the NFL preview program happens here on the fan. What we can do as well is to work in thoughts from folks who are listening to us. Our toll-free line here at WFAN is 877-337-6666 if you want to join us in the discussion today. Now, I was putting out an idea before we paused for our update and messages of the importance of the discussion, the importance of um, all of these news stories surrounding these incidents and accusations. What is, I I guess my question is, what is that going to spur in terms of policy, um, legislation? Do you think we're going to see a revision or any revisions in the laws? 
I'm not sure. You know, in this Internet day and age, I'm still waiting for New York State penal code, the criminal law, to catch up with the times. So, for example, during the identification process, if you accuse someone of a crime, you could easily see their picture on social media and then you could go into the police and point them out and say he did it and before in the past like if you had some inkling of who the person was you couldn't see their picture because you didn't have access to it nowadays you have access to everybody's information online so you're able to go in and say that person did it and let's say that person didn't do anything wrong there has to be some way for the law to catch up to this time and it hasn't uh criminal law doesn't really take into account electronic information as a defense attorney you're entitled to certain information from the prosecutor and when you look at the code it doesn't give you direction on how to get it the actual law doesn't state electronic information as in detail as it needs to so i think that the law may or may not reflect this current situation it depends on what lawmakers do it does open up the dialogue like we're having you know it's kind of like with littering you shouldn't litter you have to clean up after yourself don't throw your trash on the ground people need to behave in a certain way men towards women and this could be a reminder to everyone of how they should act but it also is important for women to take responsibility for themselves and you have to act appropriately as well so if you're going to accuse someone of something that's not true you have to think to yourself i shouldn't do this now the question that often comes up in these discussions too when someone is accused wrongly is there legal recourse for that person It's really hard to get legal recourse. You know, maybe you could have a civil lawsuit for the person defaming you or for libel. You can go to the police uh, if they accused you criminally and it wasn't true. You could try to have them arrested for making a false statement to law enforcement. To me, the problem nowadays is whatever you put out there is going to stay online. So if you Google someone, they were accused of something they didn't do, people are going to learn of it just because it's online. So there's not that much recourse available for someone who was the victim of being accused of something they didn't do. And then they also have to spend money. They have to get an attorney. They have to pay that attorney who, if they're like me, most likely they'll succeed and get their client's name cleared. But that doesn't mean that it goes away online. But if somebody is wrongly accused, um, they're probably in many cases going to be willing to do whatever they can to try to clear their name. Of course. I, I mean, think. people definitely want to clear their name and you should go and get an attorney and work with them to push forward. You know, in the workplace setting, it's it's difficult like elsewhere because there aren't many witnesses. It's a he said, she said. And what you say could be used against you if you don't say it right. It, even, you know, when you're wrongly accused, even things that you say could be used against you in the proceeding. And ultimately, you should be exonerated since you didn't do it, but that's not always a guarantee. Mm. And when we look at the cases of sexual harassment, 
the number of those, what effect does that have on the court system, which is already overburdened and many people would say very slow? Yeah, the legal system doesn't always work so quickly. I just tried a case that was nine years old and it was a civil employment discrimination matter. So justice moves slowly. Nine (laughs) years. It took nine years for the case to go to trial. The case should have never been in court in the first place. But, you know, that's the society we live in. People can very easily go into court and accuse someone of something they didn't do. So what was the disposition in this case? The disposition is still ongoing. Um, You know, justice moves slowly. Wow. And why nine years? Like, what happened in the nine-year period of time? I'm not really sure what happened. I couldn't tell you. I was only (laughs) a part of it for maybe the past four years, and it just moved really slowly. Is this because of scheduling or motions or just? Yeah, there were a lot of motions. Uh, You know, as attorneys, I think uh, part of our job is uh, using a lot of paper. Mm. We kill a lot of trees, unfortunately. (laughs) Not my favorite part of the job. Now, the other aspect of these sexual harassment cases, you know, we talk about the effect on courts. What about the effect on families, specifically on marriages? Do they at times lead to divorce? Of course. I mean, you see that right now that some of the people who are accused of doing terrible things, their spouses are leaving them. You saw it with Harvey Weinstein and I believe with Matt Lauer. So, of course, that's a you know, a normal human reaction to have, especially when the veracity of the claim seems to be strong and also the number of claims. Mm. What message, I guess, or messages do you feel being sent or are being sent? Uh, Right now, I think uh, it's probably... It's difficult for me to say, you know, it's there's this interesting relationship between men and women. And I've been really fortunate that I've had wonderful male mentors. I started as a public defender at Nassau County Legal Aid Society and my supervisors who are mainly male, although I did have two female supervisors, but I also had male supervisors and I had tremendous relationships with them and there was nothing ever inappropriate. And I feel so fortunate that I've had such great mentors who are both men and women. But I have had situations like in court, there's this attorney that was, for lack of a better word, creepy. And you just, I avoided him. And and sometimes you do run into these really terrible situations. And it's important for us, everyone, to be aware of it. Sometimes as a woman, you're treated unequally. That's definitely happened to me. I've had male opposing counsel primarily in the matrimonial family law context, mainly divorce, and the men treat you like you're a little girl when you're someone that has a big responsibility to help your client and your opposing counsel is behaving like a pig. So these things happen, and it's good that we're now able to speak about it openly and 
have the dialogue, but I do think that the general takeaway is that we have to figure out a way to interact with one another that's more graceful, that there isn't a gray area, that men don't have to fear that they're going to go to the holiday party and a girl is going to accuse them of something mm. that they didn't do. Because again, if, if the man did do that, and then shame on them. Well, this brings up an interesting area of discussion, and um, again, some of the discussion that has started in recent weeks surrounds this area. Let me mention again to somebody who wants to join us in our conversation, 877-337-6666. We're talking with Deborah Blum on our program on The Fan this Sunday morning. And specifically, in the workplace, do supervisors, managers, whether they be men or women, do they have to be extra careful now as a result of all these accusations and allegations? I'm sure that there's a lot of sensitivity training that's going to go on as a result of this. And I think that supervisors might have more accountability to make sure that their team members are acting appropriately and following the protocols. Mm-hmm. So we can look forward to more, basically more training videos and the like. Probably. You know, I, I don't work in a very formal setting. I have my own law firm and I do work at a legal suite with other attorneys. And I just haven't found, you know, of course, there's always somebody at the office that maybe acts slightly inappropriately. But I've been very fortunate that I haven't encountered this type of behavior. Um, but it's it's an interesting time, and I do think that you're going to see people being more careful and this just being something that's more out in the open. And as a result of this being more out in the open, do you expect that we're going to continue to see more people actually charged? I think that we might see more people right now being charged, but I think it's the pendulum is going to swing back the other way at some point, you know, and, and it's just, it's a, it's a tough topic. I think when someone actually commits a sex crime, I remember once I went to an arraignment where the district attorney, uh, the person was indicted and the district attorney had pictures and they laid them out in front of me and you could tell that my client was guilty. And that was one of the most difficult positions I've ever been in because the purpose of my job was to ensure that they remained out because the parent, their parent had already paid for them to be out on bail and his father was there and you could see that his father was a very hardworking man that was mortified by his son's behavior and the person that committed this sex act there was something off about him you know he wasn't mentally all there and he did this terrible thing and as you could just feel that he did it you know a lot of times I think people are accused of sex crimes and it's least likely thing to be true but when it is true it's just so disgusting and it with him there was there was something very wrong with him and he needed to get help and a woman unfortunately was the victim of this terrible crime and people need to to understand that there have to be more programs that help people that have these tendencies and hopefully can modify their behavior very interesting discussion with Deborah Blum on our program on The Fan this Sunday morning. She's an attorney. She's in studio with us. We're talking about this topic of sexual harassment 
And uh, what I've said we will do as well is to try to work in some thoughts from some of you with uh, Deborah on our program. She's with us till 7.30 when our program ends. The NFL preview program happens here on The Fan. Mike Francesa is along at 9 from Mulcahy's doing his final football Sunday program uh, here on The Fan this morning. One thing that I was thinking about, too, is um, because I always try to look at the bigger picture here with this whole situation. If we continue to have these revelations come forward, whether it's from Hollywood, it's from politics, it's from government, known people, names, if that continues, let's say over the next six months at the rate it has been going lately, Do you then think that we're going to have this become more of a front burner issue, whether it's not just in water cooler talk, but even policy talk coming from Washington? Oh, some of these instances did occur in Washington. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I think that. It's an important thing for legislation to be made to protect people from this. But ultimately, we have to look at ourselves as a society where people need to control their impulses and understand that if you do something wrong, that there are major consequences and that you just shouldn't do that. And it goes beyond legislation. It needs to be what's right versus what's wrong for both men and women. One of my friends represented the first female convicted of rape. We remember he, he looked at her his, her criminal rap sheet, and then he learned that she was the first female ever convicted of rape in the state of New York. Mm. That's the twisted world of being a criminal defense attorney when you are having these conversations, like when you're in court and you could play, guess what game somebody's, uh, what they're accused of. Mm. Because usually it's pretty easy to generalize like anything else in life. And you could say, oh, that person is here for DWI mm-hmm. or. Mm-hmm. Mm. Attorney Deborah Blum is with us on our program on the fan this morning. We we'll take a pause for our top of the hour update and we shall continue with her. With Deborah Blum on our program. Deborah is an attorney. She's in studio with us. WFAN's toll free line 877 337 6666. It's brought to you by Mohegan Sun. Unlimited possibilities await you at Mohegan Sun. Plan your stay at mohegansun.com. So let's go to the phones, 877-337-6666. And let's start first. Uh, first, let's go to Mark, who is in a car. Mark, good morning. Thanks for holding on so long. Welcome to the fan. Thank you. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Deborah. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. It's been a very uh, interesting topic. I enjoy listening to Bob's topics every Sunday morning. Um, I, I, get, I work six days a week, so Sunday is one of the days. And um, I work as a school principal in uh, Rockford County, New York, and, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge. It's, 
schools as well where you have educators, uh, men and women, working together. But, um, you know, something that I haven't heard brought up this morning, I've been listening to the entire program, you know, of course we want everyone to feel comfortable and everyone to dress as they please. But, you know, as a man, you know, we, we all, like Deborah mentioned earlier, we all have to control ourselves and, 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 and manage our impulses and, you know, all human. But at the same time, I'm not blaming the women in any way, of course. At the same time, there are many women that are, are provocative in their dress or, or lack thereof, if you understand what I'm saying. And, and there's no question that, you know, it makes it more difficult. And, 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 and some thought has to be put in a, in a dress code to, to, to enhance that. I, I know in our school, um, we have a very, very strict dress code for the women so that to help protect them and the men from making these kind of mistakes. All right, we'll let Deborah respond to what you've said. I'm from Rockland County, so good morning. Uh, yeah, of course, dress code is really important, and a, a lot of times, actually, in the school setting with recent accusations, you'll see women that have slept with their younger students, which is quite interesting. So I think that right now, specifically in the school setting, the people that you see accused of things have recently been women. Of course, dress code is important. As a woman, I think sometimes we get away with wearing a less strict dress or adhering to a less strict dress code. You know, men in court always have to wear suits, and sometimes women, you'll see them not wearing suits. So, of course, it's important for everyone to dress appropriately, and it must be hard to enforce that or have that conversation as a man. It would be difficult, I imagine, to say to a woman, when you come to work, you have to wear more clothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is. And, and I think one quick other point, I'm sure you have other callers, is that, and this is a, a core a core issue in general in the education system, we really have to teach, and, and even more by example teach, um, core values of, of, of appropriate conduct and appropriate approaching, and, and, and you know, show the, the respect for other people in general. You know, I I always I I once coined the phrase, and perhaps you'll you'll, you'll appreciate it. Um, life life has um, let me just get it right. Um, life has one second. Life has um, no. If life has no value, then life has no value. There's got to be values. There's got to be appropriate. Conduct, you know, I'm very, very, very against religiously and, and socially uh, homosexuality and my personal, you know, but, but, you know, when that was, when that was signed into law a couple of years back by President Obama, the rash of killings across America began shortly after that. And that's when that, that phrase entered my mind. Life has to have value in order for life to have value. And uh, I appreciate the time and, 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 and the opportunity to share that with you. Thank you for your call, and thank you for your kind words about the show, too, Mark. Thank you. Travel safely. Ready? Thank you.
877-337-6666 is our number here at The Fan. Over to Jay in Bergen County. Jay, good morning. Welcome back to The Fan. Hey, Bob. Uh, good morning. Your shows are great. There was a spot there from 1 to 6.30 there, Mike Francesa. Your shows are so good. I thought they might look, Bob, honestly, even last week with that gentleman last week. Uh, Thank you. Hey, uh, hi, De- uh, Deborah Blum. Good morning. Good morning. You sound very interesting. One thing you said early in the show, and I, you almost floored me, uh, that could probably uh, put these courts in, in a some kind of a uh, gridlock, which they already are, I guess, if you touch a woman on an arm trying to help her out of a chair into a car, that you could wind up uh, in court with, with that, you know. And something this gentleman just said, uh, I'm thinking of uh, what men's eyes uh, have to say with looking at some of the women. You know, the way they drive 71 years old, you know, looked around, I'm married 51 years and uh, it, it's kind of tough out there. But what can can a can a man go in front of a jury? Does he have the right to have a jury trial uh, on some of these? You know, to touch a woman on the arm and and uh, you know wind up with a charge like that is you know something to me is ridiculous. What do you think about that? I think congratulations on being married for so many years. That's incredible. <laughs> Congratulate my wife. <laughs> Well, you know, yes, in the state of New York, you always have a right to a jury, except depending on the crime. If it's a relatively nominal one, you might not have that right, and then it would be trial by judge. I actually, one of the cases I'm most proud of winning was a sex crime where my client was accused of inappropriately touching his stepsister. And I think the motivation was by this, the stepmother to get my client out of the house. And I went in front of a jury and we won. And it was very difficult to cross-examine the accuser, who was a 14-year-old girl. I've That was a very tough experience was to have to question a little girl because you don't want to come across aggressively or be aggressive with a young child. But it was like a game of telephone, this accusation against my client that was, I believe, untrue. And the jury often does the right thing. The jury obviously believed it was untrue as well because my client was found not guilty. In that case, he gave a a confession, a written confession. When you and when you read it, it made no sense. It didn't sound like how a young boy would speak. So probably the jury picked up on that as well. It was something that the detective wrote for him and made my client sign. Very good. You're, <laughs> so you're on both sides of the fence, Deborah. <laughs> Is that correct? Both sides of the fence. I'm not sure what that means. Well, uh, your defense, your defensive uh, attorney, defense attorney. Also, are are you working uh, on the other side? You know, for the prosecutor. No, no, no. I've never you, been a prosecutor. Okay, I, I've never. Always been a defense attorney. Yes. Okay, very, very proud good. of it too. Well, listen. I enjoy your show this morning. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Thank you for your kind words and for okay, listening to bye-bye. Jake. Um, patience on the phone. Eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six is our number here at the Fan this Sunday morning. Uh, let's see if we can squeeze Jim in here quickly. Jim from uh, Central Islip's been holding for a while. Jim, good morning. Welcome to the Fan. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me. I just had two scenarios that I just wanted to run by you that happened to me recently, and then I'll hang up to hear 
the answers because it seems like everything that I was raised on, every every kind of moral is out the window right now. <laughs> uh, a couple of Fridays ago uh, at work, uh, the dress code at work is business casual and um, I had, no, you know, it was obvious that somebody, uh, a female had dressed, like dressed more than we normally would dress. And I had made the statement to her in the elevator. I'm like, you look very nice today. And she looked at me right in the face and she said, just today. <laughs> so I, uh, it was uncomfortable ride the rest of the way. Uh-huh. And for about a week, I just thought, should I report myself to HR? Did I say something <laughs> that was inappropriate? So... That's my first scenario that I'd like to discuss. And the second scenario just happened yesterday, walking into the restaurant. Um, I was getting, walking into the restaurant. I stopped. I held open the door. There was a woman. I'm 45. She was maybe 30. Mm-hmm. She looked at me. I looked at the door. I raised my hand to, you know, after you. She said, it's not 1962. Go in. Oh, all right. So I, uh, like, it seems like everything that I was raised on is like out the window, like mm-hmm. every kind of moral that I had. But I'm going to hang up and uh, I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Okay, I'm going to let Deborah respond to that. First, we're going to take a little bit of a pause in our discussion. We're talking with Deborah Blum on our program on the fan this Sunday morning. Radio.com. in discussion with Deborah Blum on our program on the fan. Deborah is an attorney and she is in studio with us, very kind with her time. Jim from Central Islip posed a couple of scenarios before we paused for updates and uh, messages uh, and he was interested in getting your reaction uh, to what he had proposed. The very first one was, if I remember correctly, was the situation where uh, he said to uh, a co-worker, um, that she looked nice, and she said, I believe, something like, just today, <laughs> which is a great, great response. Uh, and then the other one was the situation where he had yesterday where he's going into a restaurant, and he says to a young lady, or opens the door for her, and she says to him, it's not, not 1962, go ahead. <laughs> what a great line. Uh, but... He's interested in your perspective um, on this. Well, I think with the first comment, he wants you want to know if you should go to HR. Absolutely <laughs> not. You did nothing wrong. Um, I like her response. Maybe she was just being cute with you. And it's always nice to be told, or at least I think, that you look nice. So you could keep doing that. But it really is interesting how you're worried about this, which I understand in this climate. It's hard not to be worried about things. So, of course, if you think something has been done to you or you think that a woman is going to accuse you of something you should go and report it to HR not not this you know if you think that a woman is hitting on you let's say at work and you're not interested in her and her advances are becoming stronger and you know it happens to men too it's not only women that do harassing things women can do harassing things and in today's climate it's possible she's going to report you to hr and what she's really reporting is her frustration that you're not interested so maybe you should go to hr and say look you know i'm not trying to call her out and i don't want her 
to know that I'm making this report, which most likely she will realize you made the report, but you have to protect yourself. All right, let's go back in our discussion because there's some people who are just joining us. Um, we've been talking since we finished our 6 o'clock sports update uh, here on The Fan. But one of the areas that you addressed is this idea of if somebody feels that they are being sexually abused um, or sexually harassed at work, what should they do? Well, if it, it could be a man or a woman. Right. It's not only um, men who are the harassers. Women sometimes are the uh, harassers themselves. But if someone feels that they're subject to such conduct, it used to be that they'd maybe be seen as a whistleblower, which usually there's negative fallout from that. But I think in today's time, especially right now, it is acceptable to go in and speak to HR and tell them what's going on. And then they're going to take the appropriate conduct, or at least the hope is that they would take the appropriate conduct. So I always tell my clients, not that I I typically, I mean, I've handled cases like these, but it's always good to take notes. It's always good to have a notebook even because you never know if your phone or your computer is going to crash and it wasn't backed up. So write down what happened. Say at this time, at this date this is what happened and then you're able to go in and have a conversation with whomever you need to at work about what's happening to you but the idea also is to obviously also feel comfortable enough and confident enough in yourself to be able to speak up if you need to yes if you need to you should say something it's like on the subway if you see something say something and the same thing applies pretty much everywhere and in that situation where the uh, woman said to uh, Jim that it's not 1962, uh, go ahead. I think it's always nice to adhere to certain societal norms. And it's nice when a, a man steps out of the way and lets you out of the elevator first or opens the door for you. You know, I spent a lot of times living in the Netherlands where it's a very equal society and men don't do those things. And I once saw this beautiful Italian woman get out of a a taxi and a man on a bicycle, which is also a really common thing in Amsterdam, um, drove right past her and it was it was quick and and you could tell that she was taken aback because he he drove very close to or he rode very close to where she was standing almost running her over and she like started yelling no one here cares that I'm a woman so as a woman you do get used to men in America and other countries treating you like you are a woman and I don't think that people want to lose that because it's it's Typically, you know, how people were raised that you treat women in a certain way and you treat men in a certain way. And of course, we're equal and it's very important to have protections for women. So they advance in the workplace at the same rate as men. Um, I studied that in, in college at the School of Industrial and Labor Relations, where men and women interact differently in the workplace and certain things that women do hold them back. They don't take ownership as much as men. So they'll say we if they're doing a team project where a man will say I. So it is important for women to advance and for there to be protections. But I, I just think that we also have to remember that there are things, that there are differences between men and women. So I certainly hope that men will continue to treat women in an appropriate way, but to be chivalrous. The voice of Deborah Blum. She's an attorney. She's in studio with us on our program on the fan this Sunday morning. 
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.